Welcome back, my friends, to the Derate the Hate podcast. I am Wilk from Wilkroll.com, and this is going to be episode 54. In this week's episode of the Derate the Hate podcast, we're going to be talking about raising emotionally intelligent children. Now, a lot of people talk about emotional intelligence and EQ these days, which is such a very, very important topic when it comes to bettering the world. And after all, at the Derate the Hate podcast, we're all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. Now, we did not create the hate. But with your help, we can derate the hate. So what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Our guest on this week's podcast is Stephanie Pinto. And Stephanie is an emotional intelligence coach who specializes in helping parents to create an emotionally intelligent family culture at home. She is a certified emotional intelligence specialist. She is trained in pediatric anxiety therapy and practiced as a speech pathologist for 10 years. Stephanie supports parents in learning how to manage their emotions, frustrations, and stress so that they are happier, calmer, and connect more deeply with their children. Stephanie also helps parents to raise emotionally intelligent kids who are self-aware and manage their emotions and behavior. She is also passionate about building kids' confidence and resilience, which is one of the things that we talk about very much in this episode. Stephanie coaches parents, runs regular workshops and group coaching programs. She hosts monthly online meetup for parents, has a YouTube channel, and writes regular blogs all based around emotional intelligent parenting. Stephanie's rapidly growing online community is a Facebook group called Let's Raise Emotionally Intelligent Kids, where she shares insight, strategies, and tips on how to cultivate an emotionally intelligent family culture. So when it comes to somebody who's trying to help people better their lives and better the world, Stephanie is definitely someone you're going to want to listen to. With that, let's jump right into the interview, and you can hear from Stephanie herself. Stephanie Pinto, thank you for joining the Derate the Hate podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Well, let's talk about raising emotionally intelligent kids. Emotionally intelligent or emotional intelligence and, and EQ is something, it seems to be a hot topic lately. A lot more people are talking about it now than I ever remember. And you are one of the first people that I've seen that that really brought kids into the emotional intelligence conversation. And emotional intelligence, I, you know, until, until very recently in the past couple of years, I, I didn't know anything about it. So what is emotional intelligence and, and you know, just tell our listeners what led you to to training and then starting to specialize in emotional intelligence and and specifically emotional intelligence for children. Yeah, cool. Look, I think um, a lot of us kind of hear about emotional intelligence in terms of us as adults and what it what it means for us to be emotionally intelligent and a lot to do within the workplace actually as well. It kind of seems to be really. It is now one of the top ten sought after skills for people who are getting into the workplace and job interviews and stuff but really in a nut like I I obviously as you said I have that passion of bringing it to families and to kids through our parenting and um, I guess that in a nutshell what emotional intelligence is is just our ability to be aware of our emotions moment to moment aware of our own, aware of other people's emotions and to use that as information or like 
data, you know, that is sending us a message. Um, it's, it's information that we can use to make good decisions. We can, um, you know, gu- it will guide our actions. It helps us to deepen our relationships with people around us and with ourselves. So it really um, is just that, yeah, that awareness and knowing what our emotions mean and how it can either kind of make or break a an interaction or a relationship or, or a you know a family um, or us as adults with um, people in the workplace and stuff like that. So it's really you know that's the simple like <laughs> nutshell kind of um, definition, I suppose. But if we look at actually the the um, nuts and bolts of what make up emotional intelligence, like what skills, there's actually 26 competencies or skill areas that fall under EQ. So it's things like emotional self-awareness, of course, behavioral self-control, conflict resolution, empathy, um, resilience, communication, even things like leadership. And I know that that sounds a bit like workplacey, but actually as parents, we're the leaders of our family and we, we get to, I guess we have the responsibility of shaping our kids' way of being and their, um, the way they show up in their interactions and the way they manage their emotions and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is. And if, if you like, I can go into a bit of how I got into it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and actually that was my next question. What brought Stephanie to, I, I read a little bit of your, your bio on, on your website and what specifically made you become aware of emotional intelligence and how personally in your life did Mm -hmm. that manifest itself? Yeah. Um, as you were, yeah, as as you were saying before, I only kind of just discovered it in the, like recently, as you did, you know, the last few years it was for me, I had no idea about what it was before my thirties. And, um, and I realized just, you know, I, I kind of discovered it online, like learning about it, reading about it, um, people posting about it and things like that. And I thought, what is this? And, and to cut a long story short, I realized that, when I was younger, in my teens and in my twenties, I had um, I had zero emotional intelligence, um, and that caused me not to be one of those people who can't manage their emotions and they blow up and they flip their lid and they snap or they shout or whatever. I kind of went inward because I couldn't deal with my emotions, and I developed such a strong anxiety that if I was to speak in school, in an assembly, or, or if I, um, even in my job interviews in my previous life as a speech pathologist, job interviews and stuff like that, seeing clients, if I got so nervous, I wouldn't just, you know, have um, sweaty palms and a heart racing. I would actually faint on the floor because I just couldn't, my body and my brain was like getting me out of this threat, this situation. So I couldn't cope with the fear, the anxiety, the you know, what are people going to think? Am I saying the right thing? Um, I just had no emotional self-awareness and obviously no coping strategies. And so that, I, and I, I always say, like, I did pretty well at school. I'm lucky that I, I got decent grades. Um, my parents stayed together. So I didn't have any of that trauma of like massive bullying or parents breaking up or anything. And yet, because of that lack of emotional intelligence and awareness of my emotions, ability to manage them and control them, I was fainting left, right and centre and it was, imagine how much of an impact that had on my friendships and my social life and jobs and stuff. So that was like a big aha moment for me. Oh, sure. I, I, I can imagine. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, just fainting and, and well, I, obviously there's a lot of people out there that have uh, serious phobias about speaking in public or, or even speaking in, in a forum like this, you know, being able to, being able to overcome a, a situation like that. One of the reasons that I became interested in the concept of emotional intelligence personally was because I, as a child, was bullied quite often. And in turn, as I became older and became an adult, it manifested in itself in, into anger and temper issues. I, I didn't have the uh, I didn't have the anxiety. I didn't have the inability to speak in a public forum. But what I did have was a very short temper, acting out in certain ways, uh, certainly unhealthy behaviors that uh, you know that that made me understand and, and really start to look at my own emotions and, and things within myself. I haven't studied emotional intelligence, certainly nearly to the extent that you have, but uh, that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast is to meet people like you who, who have the information and have the expertise that they've built and, and, and have overcome things like you have. That's, that's a phenomenal thing. So mm-hmm. tell me, how, how do we as parents learn to become emotionally intelligent so that we can exhibit that emotional intelligent behavior for our children? Oh, good question. And actually, I love that you phrased it that way because I often get a lot of parents saying, how can I raise emotionally intelligent kids? How can I teach this stuff to my kids? Or my kids are, you know, they melt down, they have big emotions, challenging behaviors, like how do I kind of fix that? And I like that you said, how do we become emotionally intelligent parents so that we can, you know, raise emotionally intelligent kids because it 1000% starts with us. And a bit of a side note, I think back to the way I was parented and it, it was, it was great. It was fine. My parents did what they knew at the time sort of thing. There was no like capital T trauma and, and yet I didn't get from them we didn't talk about emotions very much. My my family's English, so we are like <laughs> quite um, conservative. We didn't talk about big emotions and stuff. And I learned to be a good girl and a people pleaser and not to not to rock the boat. So I think as parents, it's a it's our it's our responsibility to look at ourselves and just look at you know our ha- our habits, our patterns of behavior, the way we show up, the way we either respond or react sometimes to our kids and what we're modeling to them because every moment of the day they are they're watching us even though they're not watching us so when we you know blow up or snap or or shout or or smack or something when our kids do something wrong or if they make a mistake or if we stuff up or if we're late and you know how we are how we react is showing them that this is the norm this is what we do so it, it comes back to starting with us as the parent to think, okay, where, you know, am I able to manage my emotions? Do I know what my triggers are? Can I start to um, learn how to respond rather than react and just model that to my kids? Cause that's, that's the best way they learn through experiencing and modeling. Right. No, there's no doubt. Children, children do mimic our behaviors. They, they mimic our words. They mimic our behaviors. They mimic our moods just like other people do, you know, I, I, I talked back in way back in episode two of the podcast or our second episode, I talked about smiles and bad moods are contagious. 
And mm-hmm. it's really one of those things that, you know, kids pick up on more than more, more than we know a, a lot of times. And I think it's amazing. Like I have a, my daughter, she's 16 months now and just the little things, the little mannerisms that she picks up, the little things that she picks up on all the time. And, and, and you know, if you smile, she smiles, if you frown, she frowns, if you make a funny face, she makes a funny face. So it, it's, it's such a beautiful thing, but, but we do have that responsibility as parents to portray that good mood, that smile. You know, I, I think every child, every child needs to needs to see as many smiles every day as they possibly can. I, I just, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, this whole mask thing <laughs> that we've been dealing with for the past year, I think is devastating for children because they're, they're not okay. seeing the, the facial expressions that they should be seeing, which is a very, very important part of the development of a child is seeing those facial expressions, seeing the moods that are on the adults that they're soon going to mimic. Otherwise they're just going to turn into a little, a bunch of little automatons that don't even, <laughs> that don't even know what's going on. So, so talk about why it's so important, you know, not only for us as adults to be emotionally intelligent, like, like you overcoming what you've overcome, me overcoming what I've overcome. Why is it so important for us to raise emotionally intelligent children? Mm, good question. You know what? Um, just before, as you were mentioning, our kids our kids pick up on our emotion and our words, you said, and, um, you know, our language and the stuff that we're saying, it is so, so profound when we realize that our kids will mimic us and they will, um, they will kind of, you know, grow up in the way that we did if we don't stop those, you know, generational patterns and things like that. And, and when you said, you know, they will copy our words, it's so true because the language that we use, our kids will start to use. So if we're saying things like, oh, I'm such an idiot, I'm always late or so stupid or, you know, that kind of language, our kids are going to come out with that language. That's going to not only come out of their mouth, but it's going to sit in their brain in terms of their inner thoughts and their inner critic and, and stuff like that. So we've got to be careful, as you were saying, to, yes, to give our kids to be more conscious and more aware of what we're showing our kids and things like the smiles and the good times and and everything like that. But on the flip side as well, I think it's important to be aware that if we want to, I suppose, build resilience in our kids or, or raise resilient kids, we have to, on the flip side, be able to show them that it's okay that we have times when we feel frustrated or we make a mistake and stuff up or we get angry or we can't cope because we can't always show our kids things, you know, mum or dad has it together. We are strong. We know what's going on and we have everything figured out because we're setting our kids up for that kind of fear of failure or don't want to disappoint mum or dad. So I'm going to lie about this or, oh my God, I made a mistake. Quick, hide it. <laughs> so, I, and I, I always kind of think down the track in like, so my kids are four and almost seven. And I think, oh man, when my kid, you know, 10 years down the track, I want my kids to, when they stuff up or if someone has said, come on, let's do this and, and, and they've gone along and done it, I want them to think, oh, I shouldn't have done it. I can still tell mom or dad. I, I know they'll be, they'll be okay because they stuff up and they're not perfect and they've said, yep, this is what happens. Like we can get through it and let's problem solve it and work it out. And so I, I see that as a bit of a balance like as you were touching on before. So that, and that is, that is part of emotional intelligence for sure, the resilience. 
I, I think that is such a, a very smart point to make sure because nobody's life is going to be perfect. I mean, we all uh, are going to deal with adversity yeah. in our life and uh, it's just a fact of life. There's going to be things that, that we deal with. And I think one of the biggest problems that we, we face in, in many societies today, and, and it may be different in Australia than it is here in the United States, but the, the whole concept of the, the participation trophy and we can't let anybody feel like they failed because it may, if, if we let them feel like they failed, then they're going to feel bad. But the reality yeah. is, is there are going to be failures in life. And I think that's such a smart point that you make as, a, as the adult, as the role model. We have to allow our children to see the mistakes that we make because every parent makes mistakes. There's no, there's no parent free from mistakes. There's no parent free from sin. There's no parent free from adversity in their life. And yeah. the more our children see not only that we do make those mistakes, but how we constructively deal with those mistakes and learn from those mistakes and not fly off the handle and not just start screaming and swearing. That is such an important point. I'm glad you made it. So how have you seen the emotional intelligence factors working out in in dealing with your own children? Because I know a lot of what you do is based on real life experience. It's, it's things that you do on a daily basis and Mm. what kind of changes for the positive have you seen and what hurdles have you had to overcome in, in raising your own emotionally intelligent children? Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like it's a bit of my, um, it's a bit of my way of being now. It's just kind of who I am because I talk about it every day and I, I coach on it and I'm posting on it and stuff. So for me, I know I'm not like the normal kind of parent because I'm super aware and conscious and intentional, I guess. I'm really deliberate with interactions with my kids. I mean, hey, I'm human too. And I have those moments where I flip my lid and I'm like, oh my God, I've done it. You know, we're human. But for the most part, I give my kids a lot of space and a lot of time and understanding and compassion for, um, I kind of want to say what they're going through which is childhood, which is having a massively underdeveloped brain. Um, Like when we think about it, and I often ask this if I do a workshop or something or or if I start with a new client, I say, do you know when your child's brain is going to be fully developed? And they'll guess like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, something like that. And I'm like, actually, it's the mid-20s now. Like research is saying 25 to 28 Mm -hmm. is when our brain is fully developed. Everything is functioning. It's fully integrated you know, we have those um, higher order critical thinking skills of like problem solving, organizing, logic, emotional regulation, impulse control, decision making, like really complex thinking skills. And I'm like, oh my God, my kids are four and seven. Like they have not got even half the map. And I'm expecting them to like get out of the house on time, go find their shoes and their hat and their bag and come back and, you know, not not be selfish and and share and be patient. Like, it's just me having that awareness. It seriously underpins me day to day being patient and understanding with them when they stuff up, when they make a mistake, when they do that thing that I've told them five times not to do. I'm like, yeah, you're going to do that. Of course. Like, whereas before I would have got so triggered, I would have said something like, what's wrong with you? Why are you so slow? Are you literally doing this on purpose? You know, why, why have I told you this same thing 10 times? 
So having that understanding about our brain, our emotions and our and how that really is like driving our kids' behaviour, kind of looking under the iceberg, I say, you know, if our kids have a behaviour, all that is, let's say they're, they're melting down over not being able to have ice cream because it's four or five o'clock before dinner, you know, that behaviour is... I don't see it as misbehavior when it gets to that point of they they can't cope. It's uncontrollable. It's unintentional. They're just um, melting down and crying or whatever. That behavior is to me, it's a signal of what, of of a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface. They, they can't wait. They haven't developed the patience. They don't um, have the full logic of, you know, Mum says, if I just wait 10 more minutes, then I'll get the ice cream. I mean, like after dinner and I'll be happy. But if I keep whinging, then she'll probably send me to my room and that'll be even worse. They, so I'll pick this option, not that one. Like they don't have that, that really critical logic and the decision-making and the patience and everything. So yeah, that, that stuff, it just makes me and my husband a lot less like explosive and triggered. And it means my kids have, they have the time and the space to kind of stuff up be be kids, be a little bit egocentric, make mistakes. And we don't, I had this conversation the other day, we don't punish them, but we discipline them. So people kind of forget that discipline actually comes from the word to teach or to guide. So it doesn't mean to like punish and be that punitive, like authoritarian parent, because we know actually from a whole lot of research that that stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work to like shape behavior. It's actually when we're connected to our kids and we can guide them and teach them and say, hey, you know what, that is not okay. That is hurtful. Or that's dangerous. I can't let you do that. But I know that you're angry and that that emotion is okay, just not the behavior sometimes, you know. So my kids are like, you know, instead of having those big, massive spikes and blow-ups every day, we kind of have a few speed humps um, and we're on with our day. It's pretty smooth here. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I know it is a very, very important thing uh, that that difference between discipline and punishment because I, I know there are a lot of people I guess out there and and I don't want to I don't know how I want to say this exactly there are a lot of people out there that think discipline and punishment are the same thing and again uh, another very important point that I think you're making is the idea that uh, because let's just face it a home without discipline is going to be a home full of chaos that so, but there's, there's people out there that say, Oh, well, I can't punish my kids because uh, whatever, I mean, whatever their beliefs are, you know, they're, they're more interested in being friends with their children than they are about being the disciplinarian. And Mm. so, so they don't want to be the bad guy because their own emotional intelligence, they don't have the self-confidence. They don't have the ability to, stand there and be that leader that their child needs. They don't, they don't. Yes. So, so talk about that for me, if you would talk about the importance of still maintaining that role as the disciplinarian, mm-hmm. but not being the punisher, you know, the punisher, yeah. let's face it. That's a kind of a scary, you know, we don't <laughs> want the punisher. We don't want the black hood and the big hammer, the big ax, you know, that's not what the children or, or the child needs, but a child mm-hmm. definitely needs again, that teacher, that guidance, that discipline to tell mm-hmm. them. So, so give an example for me, if you would, so that people kind of know what you're talking about. Give a couple of examples of the difference between discipline and 
punishment? Yep, cool. Really good question. And this is something that comes up a fair bit because it is such a um, such a tricky subject and there's so many like parents who have really strongly, strongly held beliefs about um, discipline and punishment and and what that looks like and that I grew up with it and I turned out okay, that whole kind of mentality. And, and also without going into it, our parent, like we, our parenting paradigm or our belief system and our kind of parenting rule book was built and created from our childhood. But we cannot bring our kids up in today's times with an older traditional, like not, not, not as relevant um, rule book anymore. So we have to now, yeah, shift and change and grow. And so um, as you were saying, I wholeheartedly agree with the fact that when we, when we want to be friends with our kids and we struggle to set boundaries and we really don't want to do the discipline because we are maybe afraid of the pushback, if we do set a limit and our kids get upset about it, you know, that is such a disservice to our kids, right, um, and to us. But imagine, like you said, that house would be a house of chaos and that child going to school and trying to make friends and have relationships, that would be chaos because they would continue to live in that egocentric, which for, for a period of time, yes, babies and toddlers are egocentric, it's natural, but they they develop and evolve and grow out of that. And we need to help them do that so that they do get picked for the soccer team, so that they do get chosen for that job interview. Like, you know, we need to help our kids kind of learn and grow with healthy, loving boundaries. So kind of talk a lot about sometimes the fact that our kids on one hand are like yearning for independence and autonomy and they, and we can give them to a point choice and control around their life and their day-to-day, you know, life and stuff like that. But on the other hand, we need to balance that with healthy, loving, empathetic boundaries and limits and rules so that they don't just, you know, fly off and do their own thing and never, you know, never eat their vegetables and never get dressed for school. Like we need to obviously have some um, routine and structure, but it doesn't need to come from a do it because I said so, because I'm bigger than you or just because, or I'm the adult. So you need to listen that whole mentality. So the way to kind of balance that you said, give a bit of an example. And one of them might be, you know, if, if two siblings are struggling to share toys and play together, something like that. And one of them snatches a toy off the other and the other one then kind of swipes and hits or, or something like that. An example of like a punishment would be like, right, Jack, <laughs> you've just hit your brother into your room now or a, a smack on the butt or, a, you know, just putting him in timeout or on the naughty chair or saying, you know what, you are so naughty. We're not going to McDonald's later tonight for dinner because you've just been, you know, that's unacceptable. So it's really one, it's kind of usually uh not well thought out, not planned. It kind of makes us feel better. Like we have taught them, we've done our job as a parent. Sometimes it's totally like the punishment or the consequence is kind of irrelevant. And, um, you know, because you've done this and you've struggled with sharing or asking for a turn, now I'm going to say, no, no Maccas um, tonight for dinner. Like really not, um, that's not helping our kids learn, right? Not to do the wrong thing. They, they will probably learn out of fear, but they won't learn that intrinsic pull of, oh, I don't want to do that because I've just hurt him or, you know, that's that's dangerous or, or whatever it is. So a way to use discipline instead is to 
you know, I always say to help your child label what they're feeling in the moment so that they have the awareness. Hey, Jack, you know, you look so angry then. You just, I saw you just snatch it off your brother, let's say. And then go in with a really quick little, you know, empathize and validate what he's feeling because you're connecting his feelings and his emotion to what happened. And you're saying, I get that. I would, I would feel frustrated too. He just took it off you. That's not fair. You know, it's yours or it's your favorite one or he didn't ask blah, blah, blah. So kind of doing that, like, you know, getting, helping him to feel heard and understood so that he's, you know, that sometimes just calms the emotion straight off the bat. But then this is what a lot of parents kind of miss or they, or they um, overshoot setting the limits when they need to and saying, Hey, I get it. You're so frustrated. He took that without asking. I know I saw that, but I will not let you hit him or, but we do not shout or we do not swear or whatever the limit is. So teaching and guiding and just reminding, which you're going to do 5,000 more times until he's 10, (laughs) I don't know, but being okay with doing that and going through that process many, many times and saying, Hey, I get it. This is what you're feeling. And just kind of narrating what happened and say, but I can't let you do that. When you do that, he will get hurt or you will get in trouble or, uh, you know, what are the kind of natural consequences And then the last piece of the puzzle is problem solve with them. What can we do now? Like, what are we going to do to move on? If he does this again, what's something you could say instead? Uh, Like really get them to start thinking about when this happens, because it's going to happen again, it'll happen here at home or in the classroom or whatever. What are you going to do about it? Let's think of some things that we could do instead, because this is dangerous or this is hurtful or natural consequences. Like, hey, buddy, if you keep playing like this, friends are not going to want to play with you. Um, and down the track, you know, you can think of long-term if you're having this behavior, it's not going to work out for you. So I'm here to, and that comes from a place of, you know, we're setting those limits and stuff, but it is from a place of love and I'm setting you up. I'm doing this for the best reason possible. It's not that I'm being a, not like a mean kind of mean spirited parent. I'm actually doing it because I love you. So that can sometimes help parents learn how to set boundaries um, and not just be their kid's best friend. <laughs> All right. So, so basically what, I, what I'm hearing you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, we don't want our kids to simply act out of fear of punishment from an authoritarian figure. We want our children, as they grow in their ability to reason, because we all know that the children don't have the ability to reason as they grow in their ability to use logic and use reason. We want to actually help build that in a constructive way and make sure that they understand that we hear them. We know why they're upset and we guide them into the proper versus using punishment to avoid the negative. Is that, does that, does yes. that make sense? I don't know. That's that's how my brain caught it. Perfect. Like that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get across is that we want to, in a sense, pass on this baton to our kids rather than us always solving the problem for them, um, punishing them, squashing the behavior out of them by fear or, or, you know, a, a smack or something that will not internalize their kind of compass and their moral compass. And and they'll just learn, whoa, if someone's bigger or they're coming at me, then I'm going to stop what I'm doing. But to be able to pass that baton on to them and say, what do you think? Like, what's going to happen if you keep doing this? Or 
Um, next time, let's plan something different. We are getting them to internalize the skill of knowing what's appropriate and what's not, knowing how to manage their emotions, knowing how to express them a bit more appropriately and regulate them. So giving them some of those coping skills and strategies to think, whoa, I'm feeling like this. What can I do about it? It's it's not bad. It's not naughty. It's just is even anger, think like, like those kind of emotions. It's just information. I got to deal with it. What can I do to move on? How can I, you know, get past this? And that's the growth mindset that, you know, we we often want our kids to have and the the ability for them to build that resilience. And I think like you said before, resilience, like from resilience literature, we know that being a snowplow parent, which means getting any adversity out the way, trying to make things really easy for our kids and and helping them all the time, that does not build resilience. No. We need to allow our kids to go through the tough times, through the adversities, have the failure, have that um, difficulty with the friendship or get that test back and, and get like a C and think, oh, no, like what, you know, I didn't study enough. Let them go through those times in order to help build that resilience and, and guide them through so that they come out the other side. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I, I've never heard that phrase, the snowplow parent, but it's perfect because <laughs> I, that's another thing we see or, or too often nowadays, uh, along with that participation trophy thing, uh, which is a, a nightmare for, for a kid's ability to build resilience, any kind of thick skin, that snowplow parent thing, moving everything out of the way. Parents, we've seen, uh, especially with the with the education system that we have here and now, uh, we've seen parents that are, are literally, if their child does something wrong, that the parent has the inability to accept the fact that their children did anything wrong. So they automatically go not to their child to correct the behavior. They go to the person that accused the child of being wrong and, and, and jump all over them. And, and we see that a lot in, in today's society. I don't know if it's that way in Australia. It, it's mm-hmm. certainly a, a pattern that develops a, a problem in the in the child as that child gets older there's no yeah. question about it because again with that snowplow parent that child never builds the ability to not not be picked for that job or uh, you know inability to uh deal with a with a breakup or yeah. or something that happens you know with a friend or or whatever kind of betrayal whatever they have yeah. that inability because that parent has again pushed everything out of the way along the way and, and now now the child is not not built up built up the immunity i mean that's a word we we hear a lot nowadays right if if you don't build up your emotional immune system <laughs> you will not have the ability to fight off the adversities that come later on in life so and that leads me to, to my last question. When we talk about self-confidence, okay, a lot of parents make that mistake that if we do point out our children's shortcomings or we do point out all the things our ch- child is doing wrong, this right back to the snowplow parent, they think that they're doing their children a favor by moving all those obstacles out of the way. Mm-hmm. But in turn, what's happening is they they have a child that is an ability doesn't have the ability to cope. Yeah. How does emotional intelligence and helping to build that 
and helping to raise that emotionally intelligent child. How does that build their self-confidence? And and how important is that self-confidence as that child becomes an adult? Oh, man, huge. And exactly what you were just saying, like you hit the nail on the head. If we don't allow our kids to have those failures or those tough times, and like you said, the shortcomings, if we don't allow them to see that and go through that, they will not learn the ability to cope with that stuff as they get older. We're not going to be around um, in their life forever. They're going to be in the classroom or they're going to be in friendships when they're older. They're going to be out at the shops or they're going to be in the workplace. They're going to have times when they get told, no, you're not good enough. You didn't make it. Um, We don't want you, blah, blah, blah. So, and it's not coming from a cold-hearted kind of parent, you know, approach. It's building that resilience and that that mindset, it's that resilient mindset of I didn't make this or I couldn't do that, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. I actually coped. I got through that and now I'm onto this or that happened for a reason and thank goodness it did because now I know I need to work a little bit harder or I need to shift my the way I show up or I need to change my language or, or, or whatever it is. So Teaching, if we want to teach our kids how to raise their self-confidence, we need to um, be able to allow them to go through those tough, tricky times, not be the snowplow parent, um, but help guide them through that by having conversations, talking about what's gone on, acknowledging and validating how they feel, not squashing it nor sweeping it under the rug and saying, no, 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 you're fine. They, they, I'm sure they didn't mean it you know, have the honest, real, open conversations and work through it with them because you want to, again, give them the skills to think, well, what did that mean for me? What did what was I kind of missing? What didn't I do enough of? How can I change to, to grow or be better or, you know, improve sort of thing? And that's where their confidence and that feeling of competence, like they can do things that are tough, they can try things that are tricky or hard, because then they've got that mindset of I'll give it a go and even if I don't make it or if I don't get it, it's not that bad. It's not the end of the world. I'm not going to die. I'll still have people around me who love me and, and I can try again. So that that's, yeah, it's a huge area. Such a great thing and such a great thing that you're doing with families and, and helping families to raise emotionally intelligent kids. Uh, tell our listeners what they can do to get in contact with you and what are the kinds of things that they'll find when they get involved with, you know, stephaniepinto.com or your Facebook group? What, what kind of things can they expect and, and how do they get a hold of you and, and what kind of things can they, can they get from reaching out to Stephanie Pinto? Yeah, well, I would love anyone to reach out and start a conversation, have a chat if this is something that interests them. Um, my website, as you said, is just stephaniepinto.com. And there's a section there that has a lot of a whole lot of resources, actually. Um, there's blogs and articles and stuff that you can read, but the resources are where there are things that you can download and save and print and keep forever. And one of them is, you know, the emotion wheel. I've got a kid's emotion wheel that just really helps start that conversation and that awareness around emotions for kids and what it means and how to regulate them. Um, but as you said, on Facebook as well, people are more than welcome to find me, friend me, um, and have the conversation that way, or join the Facebook group I run, which is called Let's Raise Emotionally Intelligent Kids. And um, there I'm just posting, you know, all the time about um, tips, info, strategies, 
raising the awareness and how we can do this for ourselves, but also our kids. That's so great. And uh, I know you have a workshop coming up and these workshops that you do and, and maybe webinars or whatever, do you ever offer replays or is there, I know, you know, I know with me in, in central time zone in, in the United States versus you being in Australia, there's a huge time difference and a workshop that you may be putting on in the evening uh, or on an afternoon uh, maybe before most people in the United States are even out of bed. So is there a way that people here in the States can see a replay or hear a replay of a workshop or a webinar that you're involved in? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the majority of my um, audience, I guess, or network, yes, is in um, Australia, but the second largest kind of chunk of people is over in the US. And um, I have a few parents I coach who are over there and we make the time work <laughs> somehow. But um, I do record my workshops and my webinars and I just spread them out over the year. They're, they're either about how to raise emotionally intelligent kids, how to build resilience and confidence in your kids. And I recently did one that I'm going to repeat, you know, every so often, and that was how we can um, support our anxious and sensitive kids. So that was a massive, you know, that was a huge, huge kind of webinar that uh, a lot of parents really found so much value in. It was only one hour. It was of an evening time, but I recorded it and, and parents said, I need the recording, send it to me and I'll watch it. And they did. And um, I just think we need to get the info out there and just spread the word and kind of raise raise our awareness of how empowering and powerful emotional intelligence is for, for our families and for our kids. So yeah, webinars and workshops and, and I do an eight week um, parent group coaching as well, which we've just started, but that, that, that happens um, every so often throughout the year. So it's always an option. That is so great. I do have to tell you, Stephanie, like you've heard on the podcast before, I'm all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. I mean, that's main mission statement. And I always ask people, what have you done today to make the world a better place? What you are doing for families and children is most definitely doing wonders to make the world a better place. I personally want to thank you. I definitely have to thank you for taking the time to join the Derate the Hate podcast. It's very much benefiting me, and I know it's going to benefit the listeners as well. So Thank you so much for, for the time today. I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you. I'm really, really grateful for coming on and your work is so powerful, so important. So thank you for spreading your words um, on Derate the Hate. I think that's just, this is what this is what we need to hear and need to spread. <laughs> Friends, I hope you enjoyed that interview. And like I said in the beginning, if you are looking to better the world or better your life, one comes with the other. And Stephanie's all about helping people do that. So I am going to make sure that her contact information is in the show notes or or the show description for this week. And please subscribe to the Derate the Hate podcast. We are all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. And sharing that with your friends is a great way to make that happen. So please hit that subscribe. Leave a rating and feedback wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends. And ultimately, when you're out amongst the people, be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If you got any questions for me, hit me up, wilk at wilksworld.com. Follow us, wilksworld.com, erate the hate.com. And uh, 
all social media platforms. So with that, I'm going to back on out of here. I hope you have a great week, and uh, we'll catch you next week.